All right, if you're new with us this morning, we're in a series called What Makes You Happy? I think we're in like week four. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about happy money, and that's something we all deal with, so I'm glad that you're here. So we're going to start with a review like we did last week of the first two weeks, because they really connect with what we're talking about today, and see if you folks can do better <laughs> at remembering the first two weeks this week over last week. So here's the quiz again. Jesus. What makes a person happy? Week one, we said what? No thing. It's more about who than a thing. If you've got good relationships, you're probably happy, independent of the thing stuff. If you have lots of things and not good relationships, you're probably not very happy. Then week two, we talked about what? What makes you happy? Jesus, what makes you happy? Sewing. At least one person remembers. <laughs> all right, this is really going to be important for today's topic. All right, we got some young people here. I wish I would have known some of this stuff when I was younger. I'd be in better shape today than I am. <clears throat> so, sewing. And we elaborate a little bit. We say happiness is about something now that leads to something later. So you're doing things now or sewing things now that will produce either happiness or unhappiness in the future. We say happiness is an outcome of something else. Happiness is also not immediately accessible. Um, some of you have gardens. Somebody, some people have been given to some produce from their garden, but they planted that garden months ago, right? So they didn't plant it and, and pick tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff the next day, did they? It took time. So it is the same thing with happiness, and especially in this area of money. So you sow and then eventually reap your way to either happiness or unhappiness. Now the problem is, <laughs> often or many times, you and I don't know what to sow now to make us happy later. And so we wake up 10, 20 years later and we say, I, I'm unhappy, why am I so unhappy? Well, you know, you blame your spouse, you blame your kids, you blame your, blame your boss, you blame somebody else. But the problem is you and I didn't sow in the past for our, our future happiness, which is now the present. So here's good news. Good news is this. Consequently, if you know what to sow, then you can control your future happiness, correct? And it's no, no area more true than this area of money. In fact... We probably all said this, I thought I knew what would make me happy. I thought if I married this person, it would make me happy. If I entered this profession, it would make me happy. If I spent money on this, either things or trips or whatever, it would make me happy. So here's a, here's a basic true of life. Don't always believe yourself, okay? Because you don't always know, just like I don't always know. But we all believe there's a connection between money and our happiness, right? Um, and people like me, preachers like me will tell you, money's not going to make you happy. And I know your response. Well, let me, get, give it, let me have a try. Let me just try it, okay? Give me a few mil million and I'll see if it makes me happy. But not just me, but Jesus says it's not money that makes you happy. Now, these principles we're going to talk about are going to be good for anyone. So if you're not a Jesus follower, that's fine. You can relax. We'll talk a little bit about Jesus. But please, listen to these principles of Jesus because Jesus was the smartest person to ever live. 
All right? So when we think about money and our happiness, we're tempted to think the connection is what? If I just have what? More, right? If I just had more, I'd be happy. That would solve my problem. I would be happy if I just had more. So here's my question. How much more? $10,000 more? $100,000 more? $500,000 more? How much more? Now, we've connected peace with happiness in this series. So happy people have peace. Or people with peace are happy, all right? So let's connect that with money. So how much money would it take to give you peace? Because if you had peace, you'd be happy. Now, most of us probably don't know. And if we guessed, if we're not happy now, if we had that amount of money, we still wouldn't be happy. So our answer would be, though, well, just more than I have now, because I'm not happy now. If I just had more, then I would be happy. Think about it logically. All of us know people with less than you, you and I have, right? You know people? And they're happier than us. How do you explain that? And we all know people with more money than we have that aren't happy. So logic says money doesn't make you necessarily happy. And parents, we have parents in here and we have grandparents in here. Uh, it's so important for you and I to model this because advertisers try and tell us what? Money and what money can buy will make you happy. Now, Here's the truth. Money and happiness are connected. Money can contribute to your happiness, but only if, not about the amount or more, it's about managing it well. So that's what we want to talk about for a few minutes. Anything that undermines your peace then undermines your happiness, right? Um, If you mismanage your money, you're going to be unhappy. If you manage it well, you're more likely to be happy. Um, I have money in a 401k, and about a year and a half ago, I pulled it out of the stock market. You know why? Stock market goes up, but it also does what? It goes down, and it was destroying my peace. I was happy when it went up. I wasn't so happy when it went down, so I pulled it out of the stock market. It wasn't worth it to me. Now, probably most of you have money in the stock market. That's fine, but It was destroying my peace. So Jesus taught us, if you don't figure out how to manage money, your money's going to manage you. Or maybe control would be easier to understand. If you don't learn how to control your money, your money or the way you use your money will control control you. Now, so we're going to look at something Jesus said. He told stories. He told lots of stories. and He told a story about a guy that mismanaged money. But it wasn't his money, it was his boss's money. So his boss finds this out, he discovers it, and he says to the guy, I don't know why he doesn't fire on the spot. He said, I'm going to fire you, like, in a week or two or a month. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. And they're make-believe stories, parables. And so the guy starts thinking, all right, I'm going to lose my job. And it's interesting. He said, I, I, I'm not strong enough, I'm too old to dig ditches, make money that way, and I'm too proud to beg, because that's what a lot of people did in in Jesus' day. So what am I going to do? And he says, ah, I got an idea. I'm going to go to my boss's creditors and say, okay, 
So if you owe my boss for 800 gallons of olive oil, I'll, I'll just mark it down to, to 400. So what? So this guy is going to owe, uh-oh, what's going on? <laughs> this guy's going to owe him a favor, right? And he'll be able to collect it. He tells another guy, I owe, um, you owe my master up for 1,000 bushels of, uh, of wheat, so I'm going to mark it down to 800 bushels. So at that point, this guy's going to owe him also. So he's making plans for his financial future. Now, if you're Jesus and you're telling the story and you finish telling the story, what are you going to say? It's amazing to me because Jesus told this guy, or he told the story about this guy. He said uh, he admired him. He said he was shrewd. He said people that aren't necessarily Jesus followers are often more shrewd than those of us who are. So he commended him on what? Planning for his future. And so then we get to how Jesus ties us all together. This is in Luke chapter 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 10, just a couple of verses. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. Now this guy wasn't, he was mismanaging. But if you are dishonest in little things, which a missed man was, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. Actually, he was dishonest in greater responsibility. Uh, Jesus goes on. He says this. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, money, you will not be trustworthy with true riches in heaven. So it brings in a spiritual component. Then he goes back to the uh, physical world. He says, and if you're not faithful with what? Other people's things. Like this guy. Why should you be trusted with things of your own? And then we get down to the, the, the key verse that we want to look at, the, the key principle. Verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm not a master. I'm not a slave. I don't have a master. I might have a boss. Uh, somebody employs me. But, um, so let me ask you a question. How many of you own a house or you in a bank own a house? Raise your hand. I have two, by the way. I'll raise two hands. All right. I don't know about in other states, but in Maryland, if you live in Maryland, what did you receive in the mail about July 1st? A tax bill. Now, do you have the option to pay the tax bill or not? Eh, I don't think I'll pay it. They call it the school tax, which I think is kind of strange, especially for homeschoolers like myself. But... Um, no, well, I guess you could not pay it, and they could take your house away or whatever. <laughs> but we are, there are masters, right? In, in some respects, we have to pay those taxes. So we're not technically completely free, are we? So he says, no one can serve two masters. So if we have one master telling us to do this and another master telling us to do the opposite thing, we can't do both, right? So we can't serve two. In fact, he goes on and he says it in, in what we say an uh, extreme language. He says this, <clears throat> For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus, that's so extreme. So we're going to draw down on this word devote a little bit. But here's his conclusion. You can't serve God and what do you think is the opposite of God? Well, we think he would say the opposite, but he doesn't really say the opposite of God. He says, again, 
Jesus is so, was so, so wise, so smart. You cannot serve God and be slave or enslaved to money. Now, money, this is not a good translation of that Greek word. Um, the best translation literally is stuff, all right? You can't serve God and be enslaved to stuff. Money, you can buy stuff with, right? So money and the stuff money buys. So Jesus is saying this, stuff is your chief competitor for my devotion, Jesus. Now, most of us would say, no, nah, no, no, it isn't. I'm not devoted to my stuff. Well, Jesus seemed to say otherwise. What's devoted mean? It means to be very strongly attached to. Is there nothing you're very strongly attached to? I doubt that very seriously. The problem is when this becomes in the decision-making filter of your life. You make decisions around this attachment to whatever it might be. So I'm going to add... I'm going to ask you a few uh, leading questions, all right? Here's the first one. Has your desire or devotion for something ever caused you to do something? Either buy something or sell something or go somewhere or whatever it might be. Of course, the answer for all of us is yes. Second question. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something (laughs) stupid? I didn't say you were stupid. I just said you did something stupid. And again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we'd all raise our hand, right? Um, We've all done what we call impulse buying, right? And then when our common sense kicks in, we wonder, what am I doing with this? Why did I spend money on this? (laughs) Why? We just did something stupid. We did something without thinking. So third question. Has your desire or devotion for something ever caused you to do something you regret? And again, we'd all say yes. We even have a term for that, buyer's remorse, right? Why did I buy this? I already had three of them. Um, Ladies, I won't pick on ladies, but, you know, you got a closet full of clothes and you have what? Nothing to wear. How is that possible? We're not going to talk about shoes. I'm going to even go there with the shoe thing. (laughs) All right? So, Jesus knew, knows everything. He knew their chief competitor for him, for him to be on the throne of our life, him to be our boss, our Lord, was our desire to acquire. So, I'm going to dig down a little bit in this. Why is that? How does that happen? How does it happen? Well, I think it starts with this word right here, discontentment. If you and I were completely completely contented, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? We're contented with the clothes we have, the shoes we have, um, whatever. The house we live in, the car we drive, etc., etc. But we are discontented. We are dissatisfied with different areas of our lives. So what actually feeds into this discontentment? I'll give you three things. The first one is awareness. Awareness. See, I don't desire to have something I'm not aware exists. So what will happen is 
I don't go shopping much, but I like to go into Home Depot or Lowe's. And uh, we got an employee of, of Home Depot here, so I better say Home Depot. <laughs> go into Home Depot. And I'm a carpenter-type guy, so I like tools. You've got to have tools to do all that kind of stuff. And so I'll be walking past some tools, and I'll find out, hey, there's this drill that has this, this, this neat attachment or this neat bell or whistle on it. Now I've got four or five drills at home, but I don't have a drill with that. And so until I knew that there was that kind of drill, I didn't have any desire for it. But now that I have the awareness of that, I am tempted to <laughs> buy it even though I don't really need it. But I think I need it, right? I need it, right? I need a drill with that bell or whistle. All right. Here's a serious question. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are greedy? Oh, I got a couple of hands going up. Hey, some wise people out here. All right. Anybody with their hand up is wise. The rest of us, uh, we, we need to learn something here. Because the second part of discontentment is greed. And it's hard to see greed in the mirror. I'm surprised I got as many hands as I did. No, no, we don't want to think we're greedy. I would describe it this way, or I think Jesus would. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. All right? If I've got it, I could even say God gave it to me. Well, I can do what I want with it, right? That's greed. So welcome to church. God just called you all greedy. <laughs> now, here's the problem with greed. Greed is an appetite. Now, what do you do with appetites? You feed appetites, right? Now, when you feed an appetite, what happens? Well, temporarily, it's satisfied. But do you know what else happens to an appetite when you feed it? It grows. So, greed is an appetite. The more I feed it, the more it grows. Now, so we've got awareness and greed, and in most of the world, it would stop there. But we live in America. And so when we don't have enough money to buy something, can we still buy it? Oh, yeah. We can still buy it. And then we call that what? That's debt. Debt. I won't ask you how many raise, <laughs> raise your hand that are in debt. So here's maybe the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. I want is better than I owe. There's a tension either way, right? Now, I want that drill. It's a tension. I, I, I really want that drill. Now, I could afford to buy it, but assuming I had to go into debt for it, then I would owe Home Depot for the drill, wouldn't I? So I've got a tension either way. Now, here's the difference between the tensions. The tension from I want is between me and God. God, should I really buy this? You know, um, all I have is yours. You gave it, you know, it's, all my resources come from you. Uh, it's just good use of my money. And we have the Holy Spirit as our conscience, and sometimes it's fine, and sometimes say, no, nah, that's... A... In fact, um, <laughs> I... Uh, was going to buy a Bible, a different translation of the Bible than I have. Because you can imagine I have a few Bibles in my house, right? <laughs> and um, it's a translation I've been using occasionally. And, and they were on sale. That gets your attention right away, right? These Bibles are on sale. In fact, they were half off. So I go online and I stick it in the, in the what do you call that thing? The, in the cart. I put it in the cart. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, so it's in the cart. So I keep thinking about it. Well, I have access to it online. Am I going to really use it that much? And anyway, eventually, um, I took it out of the cart. Of course, the seller contacts me because they got my email address and said, oh, you left something in the cart or you took something out of the cart. All right, I just felt it was in the good use of my money. I, I, ha I have access to it online. So it's between me and God when I still want something. Now, once I owe something, what's happened? I owe is now between me and who? Home Depot in this case, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. Whose side is God on in this I owe Home Depot and Deep Home Depot? Whose side is God on? He's on Home Depot's side. Because he did, told us not to owe anybody anything. And now I owe Home Depot. So God is shifted to the creditor's side. Talked about this in the first service. People come to me and for counseling and sometimes they're going to file bankruptcy. And I say, okay, go ahead and file bankruptcy. It's a, it's a legal thing to do in the United States. But if you're a Jesus follower, eventually, someday, you need to go back and pay those creditors. Right? They lent you something good, believing you would pay it back. And as, as Jesus follower, you, you should pay it back. To this day, no one's ever done that, that I've counseled to do that. But I really believe that's the right thing to do. Jesus sides with the creditor. So again, I want is so much better than I owe. And the other thing about, great thing about living in America is, <laughs> the more money you have, the more temptation you have to do what? Go into debt more. You've got a bigger income, they'll let you buy a bigger house and go to bigger debt. If you've got a bigger income, you can buy a more expensive car and go in more in debt, right? So, a couple of financial goals. It's basically one, one goal, two sides of the coin. Spend less than you make. Seems like a common principle, right? <laughs> All right. So, I bring home this much money. I won't spend more than I bring so consequently, the flip side would be what? Then you can stay out of debt. Hey, let me ask anybody that has a credit card, that a bill comes in the mail once a month, do you sit there, thank you, Jesus, I got a credit card bill today? Anybody? Of course not. Crazy. So don't ever trade your peace, i.e. your happiness, for something that can't possibly bring peace. And if you're in debt, you don't have peace. So, let me ask you, which one of these things make you happy? Discontentment make you happy? Greed make you happy? Debt made you happy? Okay. Here's your action step. Stop going in debt and pay off the debt that you now Again, there's a connection between, connection between money and your happiness. It's not about the amount. Next slide, please. It's about the management that matters. So back to Jesus' words. You, no one can serve two masters. We know that. We can't do that. 
So who or what is going to be in control? That's what a master is. A master is in control. So who or what is going to be in control? I thought this was funny. I never thought about it before. Maybe you do. I do. I have a master whose last name is Card. Anybody else have one of those? Nobody else has a MasterCard? How blatant is that to put the word master on that card? I am now your master. You owe me money. So, a couple of big management principles, and we don't have time to talk about all this stuff, obviously. Generosity and wisdom. Hopefully you're gaining some wisdom this morning from the things I'm, I'm teaching. Uh, but generosity. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, you know, you can learn these other principles. But if you're a Jesus follower, we have a master. It's not card. It's Jesus, right? God is our boss. So how do you make your money make you happy? I'm going to give you three principles. All right? All right, first principle is this. Give it away. First thing, give it away. And some of you have seen these jars before. All right? So when I get my income in, when my money comes in, and we have multiple sources at our house when our money comes in, the first thing we do is set aside money to give. That's a priority. We're going to do that before we do anything else. Why? Why would we do that? Well, because giving brings joy, doesn't it? I don't know of anything that brings more joy than giving. It doesn't have to be money. I gave them my time this week to work with all these children. And boy, was I tired at the end of the week because I don't normally do that. Holly, how do you do it all the time? I don't know. <laughs> You're younger than me. Anyway, um, but the joy on their faces brought joy to me. And the same thing when we give to those in financial need. So first we give. Secondly, what do we do secondly? We save, all right? Sometimes we're taught 10, 10, 80. Give away the first 10%, save the next 10%. Uh, if you're not anywhere near there, you can start lower than that. You get to the place where I am in life, well, most of my life, I've given more than 10% in both of these. Uh, that's a good goal. So save. Why? What's important about saving? Because saving brings what? It brings peace and it brings security. And husbands, number one need of your wife, you, experts tell us, is security. Blown away about that. So, I save, I give, I've got peace, I got joy, I've got peace and security. Then, of course, what do you do? Well, you live on the rest, right? Hopefully less than 80%. You live on the rest. And what does that do? It brings you and I freedom. Financial freedom. And it's kind of fun to, to drive around and see somebody in a, in a, in a newer car. You know, all of you know I drive old cars, my wife and I. But see somebody with a new car, and I'm not envious because I can say, I could buy one of those if I wanted to. I just don't. Somebody with a nice, pretty big house. Now, most of you know I have a pretty nice house, but there are bigger and nicer houses than mine. I said, I could buy one of those if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. Because what's more important to me? Joy, peace, 
and freedom. So, what makes you happy? Sewing. So, what makes you and I financially happy? Sewing in the direction of what? Giving first, saving second, and living on the rest. So, money contributes or can contribute to our happiness, but only if you and I learn to manage it well. So, here's your take home. Next step. (laughs) I didn't know what else to say than just do it. Just begin doing it. And if you need help, we teach a class called Financial Peace University. And we'd love to teach, share that class with you and, and help you in this area. Again, some of you are young people. If you can learn this young, imagine the benefit you'll have later in life. So let me pray with you, and then the praise team will lead us in one last song. Father God, thank you for these principles. Um, some of us have been using them for a long time, and we're not, that, and we're not that place. We have joy and peace and security. And I thank you for giving me that wisdom many years ago. For some folks, this is new. Uh, maybe never even thought about these, about these things. And God, we're th- thankful for your wisdom, that you understand us better than we understand ourselves. And you know the way to help us not be greedy and to be generous and have joy and peace and all these other things. So I pray for the folks here, God, that they will take this seriously because it's about their financial peace and and their future. Hey, God, I'm sure some people are struggling. Maybe they don't know where to turn. Maybe they're at its wit's end. I pray they would turn to you and they would turn to us as a church, people that would be able to help. And, of course, if anyone is without a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, we would pray today would be the day we would accept that invitation. God says, come, join my family. I want you to be with me for eternity. I've sent my son to die for you. I love you that much. Won't you accept my love? Why would you reject it? If you make that decision, please let us know so we might guide you in the right direction. Thank you, God, for being present in this service. Continue to speak to us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.